Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. So welcome along to episode 26 of the Business Herald podcast. It's Friday, the 26th of February, 2021. This week saw Boris's roadmap to freedom announced, the moment we've all been waiting for. The 21st of June is the target date for all restrictions to be removed. Boris called them irreversible, but not in a guaranteed irreversible, usual everyday meaning of the word. No, 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 that's not the government's way. It's just that the intention is that they're going to be re- irreversible. But, you know, they, they they follow data, not dates, is the new phrase, which ironically is what every single person has said over the last 12 months as well. Next Wednesday sees the Chancellor's uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak's budget. And so this week, almost every day saw someone or some think tank comment on what he should and shouldn't do. We had previous chancellors saying it was, quote, too early to try to balance the books. That was Alistair Darling. And another one saying that the government need to, quote, tell some difficult home truths and say that the hard times are coming. Philip Hammond, even David Cameron, do you remember him? He had, uh, he, how come he still gets an opinion on anything? I'm not quite sure. But he piped up and said, Treat it like a wartime uh, debt and pay it back over many years so not to damage the economy, uh, economic recovery. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, meanwhile, we've seen lots of big companies announce results with loss after loss after loss announced. And each time I see such a story, I pull out yet another tiny violin for them. I mean, Gordon Ramsay, bless him, he told, him, told us this week that his restaurants are down £60 million in revenue and said this, he said, lockdowns have caused utter devastation, having been through so much with the 2008 financial crash, then terrorist attacks and 9-11 when COVID first hit. We all thought it'd be over and done within a couple of weeks, but it's been a long haul. Absolutely has. And finally, the head of Goldman Sachs, my favourite story of the week, head of Goldman Sachs came out and said that working from home as a model was an aberration and needed to be corrected as soon as they can. And they'll assist, insist on bums on seats. The general consensus over in, on my LinkedIn post uh, was that working from home should be a choice and not insisted upon. So on today's show, I am joined by Graham David and Paul Green. Graham David is a speaker and corporate trainer who owns three training companies. His main business, established in 1996, is an award-winning management training company which is delivered all over the UK, Europe and further afield. Over the last 12 months, he's acquired two new companies and is actively seeking his next one. He only uses two social media platforms, LinkedIn and TikTok, TikTok where he's now famous, and he shares your ideas, experiences, and views about business, learning, and development, and the events of the day. Paul Green, not so much a fan of TikTok, has been a business owner since 2003 and now runs the Business Community, a group based on collaboration and support with around 140 members, all looking to grow their business and help others do the same. He's worked with hundreds of business owners, providing business advice and coaching. So welcome along to both of you. Uh, so, Graham, I'll, I'll come along to you first. What did you make of Boris's roadmap? Slow and steady wins the race, or should the economy and mental health take priority now, given the number of vaccinations done in the vulnerable? Well, I don't want to sound um, <clears throat> I don't want to sound like I'm being a little bit cynical here, but maybe I'm a little bit cynical. 
The problem we've got, of course, is that we've had announcement after announcement after announcement after announcement, and in a totally non-political way. I'm not sure which party or which leader may have done things better or differently or whatever else. I end up with a, all right, it's another announcement. There's our there's our roadmap. Okay, but it's covered with so many caveats. There's more caveats here than a a solicitor might give us, Stephen. And it's it's full of, well, we'll try and do this, but, and it's probably going to be this, but, and it'll be this depending. So um, I, I think purely personally, in a, in a perhaps in a selfish perspective of this, I'm just going to keep on doing what I've been doing. Um, the first two months of, of this whole lockdown, as you said, a year ago, were pretty horrendous, as I suspect they have been for, for many, many people. I've got into a bit of a groove now. Everything I'm doing, I'm, I'm delivering online so i'm i'm just sort of getting on with it and and if we get to go out a bit more if we get to see some friends and family if we get to shudder go into pubs or restaurants brilliant but i'm, I'm not going to hold my breath about it no uh, I, I i think that's right i think even just for him to say it's irreversible but not really not really irreversible but kind of irreversible um it, it was just just demonstrates exactly like we we've lost which is a shame, and this is a political point that you weren't making, but I'm making. We, we've kind of lost trust in the in the government's announcements because every time they make an announcement about it, it gets feet get pulled under the rug, and we're, I think, we're I think, I think in a different place. There's a bit of truth in that. I think also, uh, you know, without without raking over the, the Dominic Cummings affair, or you know, and he wasn't the only person to have done this. There's been a numerous, a, a, a large number of people, quite high profile people, often people who have a degree of power or authority, who have quite clearly broken some rules. And the difficulty then, of course, is, well, are we following these rules or are we not going to follow these rules? Because frankly, nobody really seems to know. And I, and I think that's been, that's been the difficulty. And as you say, everything has been set up as, yes, we're going to do it, and no, we're not. And yeah. you know, look at even sort of schools back, schools not back. Yep, schools are going to be back. No, they're not going to be back. It's been like that throughout. And I think you're right. Uh, we, we've absolutely lost some level of credit. They have lost some level of credibility, perhaps. Well, what do you think to the, uh, to the roadmap? Do you think it's, it's right to still negative word, drag things out until June for some businesses to get back to, to normal? I mean, as frustrating as it is, it's, you know, we're, we're in uncertain territory, aren't we? No one really knows what the virus is going to do, how it's going to evolve, whether the vaccine is going to be resistant to different strains of the virus and things like that. Um, my frustration is we're in, you know, lock, lockdown 3.0, if that's what's being called, is I think most people... Um, uh, probably more frustrated this time around than they were with the last two because you know doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result um is you know is one definition of insanity or getting the same result as the definition of insanity so i i, I think if if this is extended if it takes longer but it means we never go into lockdown situation again then i'm quite happy for that to be the case but we've got to get to a point where we've got to live with this thing and we've got to take the consequences of people dying if they, you know, if they get infected, because, you know, we can't continue to go down this road uh, as we are of being, you know, imprisoned in our own homes with very little to do and the massive impact it's having on certain businesses and the debt is increasing as, as the government tries to support these, these businesses. You know, you can't mm. give a handout to everybody and, you know, to use the phrase for this podcast, kicking the, the can down the road. Uh, that's that, that that one that money has got to be recovered at some point. So will it will it be as it's mapped out at the moment? 
I don't know. If they're looking at the data this time and, and uh, taking action accordingly, then that's got to be a good thing. Um, as more and more people get vaccinated, that's got to be a good thing as well. So hopefully, you know, we are getting nearer and nearer to, to living as normal life as, poss as possible with the fact the virus isn't going to go anywhere. It's still going to be there. So, you know, we've got to bite the bullet at some point and just hope that the vaccine is enough to uh, uh, save lives. Earlier this week, I um, interviewed Paul Scully, MP, and who, who has responsibility for small businesses. And there's another podcast going out today as well. Um, so I have two podcasts this week. So if you're listening to this podcast, listen to the other podcast as well, the interview with Paul Scully. But in that, he said this, um, uh, was, as the Prime Minister described it, that most businesses will hopefully accept the trade-off between haste and certainty. What we've tried to do with the roadmap uh, and the discussions that he's had is to try and make it irreversible so that they don't go back to stop and start that they had last time, which in itself was damaging for a number of businesses in various sectors. Of course, um, he, he then went on to say, you know, look, actually, the, the roadmap is only part one of the, the, the jigsaw puzzle. Part two is the budget um, and that further support that, uh, that you know, all, all small businesses are hoping for, seeing that they can't open. Um, you know, right now, and there's a lot of businesses that are really struggling. I, I posed the question to him, I posed the question to you, is that those businesses um, that are having to wait until June, hospitality being the main one, um, of those businesses, how many are actually going to be able to wait until June? Like, if, if, if they've not already closed, um, you know, permanently, indefinitely, uh, doing something else, how many of them can sit and wait, uh, you know, to, to, to hold on? I don't know, Graham, you, you, you're nodding. What do you think? Well, I mean, the whole thing is, is um, I'm just mindful of your comments not to swear at this stage, uh, a show, <laughs> isn't it? And, and the, the difficult thing is this, that uh, the longer that we, we, we get everybody very, very, or a number of people very, very comfortable with the very generous hand of our own money, um, the harder it is to move off from there and to wean off from there. And I think linked with that, um, I, I, purely personally, I'm, I'm looking at the, the potentials for what might be what taxes we raise or how we raise tax and, and so on. Of course, the, the jargon, the language is always going to be the same. It always is. Those who have uh, the, the broader shoulders should be asked to pay just a little bit more. And this is always the language they use. It doesn't matter what, what politician is going to trot it out. They always say it. And I think what's going to feel especially unfair this time, and I think it's really key with some of these companies that have had a lot of support and those companies getting support was probably a good idea. Uh, it probably made a lot of sense, but we're going to have a situation where there's an enormous number of companies that have had at huge public cost support who, as you say, have possibly already closed, have possibly moved their business model, possibly are never going to open again. We're also going to then have how do we pay for it all? And a number of people asked to pay for it are going to be people who have had zero support. And we end up in a really messy and I suspect rather divisive situation. You mentioned TikTok earlier on. Whenever I've raised this question, who should pay for all of this? How do we pay for all this? What companies need support? The amount of two, three, four different directions that people are trying to pull this same conversation into, I think, is is a small microcosm of what's probably going to happen pending how do we move forward from this. But, but you're right. So many companies that have been, you know, people have been paid on furlough. Look at all the retail businesses that have closed. They were always going to close. They were, of course they were going to close. Pre-pandemic, yeah. they were going to close. And, and it's not the single fault of an online 
rates either. It's not the fault of a pandemic. It's not the fault of rates. It's a whole combination of things. And the pandemic's just sped it all up. So if we're going to be harsh about it, why have we continued to pay for some businesses that aren't going to survive? I, I actually, I, I asked the question, I'll ask it to, um, to, to you guys as well, which is this. Should those businesses that haven't had that support actually be taxed as much as the businesses that have had the support? Now, the MP's answer to that, Graham, as you said, which was we have a progressive tax regime and, and therefore the more you earn, the more you'll pay tax. It's percentage based. And so like if you've struggled, then you won't pay as much tax this year. But the, the, the point is, actually, should there be a, a, a super tax, um, you know, to use a monopoly word, a, a super tax on top of uh, earnings for those companies that have benefited from, you know, getting the furlough money from grant money? Or is that sign of, you know, giving with one hand and taking with the other? Um, either way, I think we all realise and we all know because we've been fed it for the last six months that someone's going to have to pay for that, and uh, and and that's us. Um, but yeah, that, that's it's it's going to be a difficult one next week for to Rishi, for Rishi to work out which way to go, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the, there's no answer, there's no equitable solution, as there's been no equitable fair solution in terms of you know who's got a handout and who hasn't. Um, you know how you how you take that forward. Um, so, like you said, in a fair world, I guess those people that didn't get support this time round, um, you know, should should get should get some sort of um, easing up uh, going forward um, because you know they're not they're not in the same boat as everybody else. Um, you know, hospitality and uh, business to consumer businesses, I feel for particularly. You know, when I look at some of the restaurants and pubs and clubs who invested all the money that they did to make the places safe. They put plastic screens in, uh, PPE'd themselves up, um, and then was, were, were asked to close down again. Um, it just seems so inappropriate. You know, could we have managed that better and still have those places be open? Um, because, you know, that, I, I don't know whether there's any data that says that's where people were getting the virus. It might be if you're in a packed club or, or pub in London, you know, sort of shoulder to shoulder. But, you know, those restaurants and clubs that balanced it, that rearranged their tables, that put screens up, you know, that they could have stayed open, I think. And people, that would have been good for people. It would have been some revenue coming in for them and the economy. Um, and it wouldn't have had people feel, you know, so imprisoned, as I said earlier, in their homes. You know, that you know, I'm yearning for a pint in a pub, <laughs> uh, you know, just to get out there and just do something that, that's, that's different. Right. I, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just just listening, nodding away to Paul there. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, we, we've got let's eat out, eat out to help out. Was it? We, mm. we liked our slogans over this last year, didn't we? <laughs> um, hands, face, space, and bumps of daisy, whatever it was. Um, all all of these things that have been trotted out because you know, we need it spoon fed to us because otherwise, the great British public doesn't understand. Yeah. Uh, although interestingly, uh, the police apparently still don't understand. Only ten percent of them actually were able to understand the rules and laws that the rest of us were uh, getting our seventy thousand tickets for over the last year. I think I read recently. So, um, so that's all reasonable. Then I, I think I think throughout this, the, the 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 lack of planning, and you know, we might we might be able to look back and in retrospect have perfect vision, of course. And I don't I don't um, I don't envy the people who've had to make some decisions here. But I think you're right, Paul. I think the amount of mixed messages and the flip-flopping between let's get everybody to go out and we'll incentivize, we'll pay people to go out and eat and then actually, no, we're going to close it all again, makes no rational sense whatsoever. Mm. I mean, it was uh, it was always going to go badly, I think. 
and uh, your your other comment there, Stephen, the, the sort of the idea of the super tax, those who have done well or those who have perhaps been some level of support. That's the most consistent comment I've seen on posts I've done. If you had some level of support from the government, why not, whether it's a company or even an individual, have some long term plan, which could be 5, 10, 20, 30 years to repay it. Now, that might feel a lot fairer than the inevitable, oh, we're all in this together, because we're not all in this together. But something like 3 million people, small businesses. And, and again, it's very easy to go <clears throat> sort of depersonalize this. It's, it's big corporates, right? It's the big corporates, it's the faceless companies. They're making millions, they should be taxed. Well, let's remember a couple of things. Most people in this country are employed by really, really small companies, one or two people. Um, many of us who own limited companies pay ourselves via a, a dividend arrangement. Uh, that, of course, always raises the, the, the hackles of some, ah, oh, you weren't paying tax. Well, we were, we were just paying different tax. That's all, that's all that is. Um, and then we're gonna, if we're talking about 19 to 25% tax increase, there's just, there's just a no real rational thought behind that, as far as I can see. And I think B, more importantly, it seems to be forgetting the key idea behind tax, which is pretty much it's always the consumer that ends up paying it. It doesn't matter. You do whatever you want to do to the big companies, it's going to pass the cost on. So we're all going to end up paying it anyway. And for me, actually, the it's looking at it from those three or four million people that have been so you know excluded. So they're going, hang on a minute, I've had the worst year that I've possibly had, right? I've I've scrimped and scraped, you know, I tried to get what I could do, or I wasn't allowed to work in some some industries. Um, not had any support because I was too new. Um, you know, like me, for instance, I set up my business in January. What you know, didn't have the payroll, uh, didn't have so can't furlough, can't uh, do anything. Not not able to have any kind of grants. Um, and it, you then ask those three million people to, to pay a bit more tax. If, if you don't mind, I like we're all in this together. Just pay like, you know, it's OK. We'll just increase it slightly every year for the next five years. And, you, you know, we're, it's a way to pay everything back. That is going to feel really difficult. That is uh, it's properly rubbing salt into a wound. It really is. It really isn't. I mean, and for the record, anybody who is self-employed who got the grant, I think that's brilliant. I think it really, really helps. But a lot of people didn't. If you own a small limited company and you pay yourself via salary and you're able to put yourself on furlough, Brilliant. I'm really genuinely happy. All the people that are PAYE that got furloughed, that's fantastic. I, you know, I really applaud all of those strategies. I think they were brilliant. But then when you look at the, the people you've just identified there, Stephen, it's three million people possibly that got no support. The, the argument is always back, well, you could apply for a loan. Well, loan, loans need repaying. Oh, well, you got to defer your VAT. Yeah, brilliant. So I'm going to defer my VAT, which is always going to have to be paid because there's one group of people you don't want to upset. It's the VAT people. And then what's going to happen a year from now when you've got reduced income, you're still going to have to pay that same amount of money. So the defer VAT was an utterly pointless, ridiculous, zero benefit, frankly. If, you know, you've got to, if you've got any money in that isn't yours because it's VAT money, you're going to have to pay it. So you have to pay it and move on with it. There was no way that was a smart move. And you're right, that's going to feel very, very, very tough if that three million people got a bit more tax for you, just to make it fair. So <clears throat> moving on to talking about the budget, moving on. So as I said in the intro, um, chancellors, think tanks, everybody's had an opinion on what the chancellor should and shouldn't do. So why shouldn't we have that same right to have an opinion? I think we should. Um, so obviously, uh, Alistair Darling said it was too early to try and balance the books. That shouldn't be the approach. Um, but uh, Philip Hammond, the previous uh, Conservative um, Chancellor, 
who resigned because he said he didn't want to work with um, Boris Johnson, if, if you remember, said that actually it's time for the government to tell some difficult home truths and, and, and tell the public that some hard times are going to come. He was the guy that kind of, you know, took us through austerity um, and which I, I, I don't think I've met anybody that actually liked, um, but, you know, got the debt down. So, Paul, what do you think, uh, what would you do if you're the Chancellor, without any of the data, just a wild opinion, basically. But what would you do if you were the Chancellor? What things are you going to bring in? I think it is too early to start balancing the books. You know, we're still in this situation. Um, so I don't think anybody anybody really wants any more bad news, do they? Um, so, uh, but having said that, there needs to be a balance of, you know, honesty. And, you know, wh- where is this money going to be, uh, going to come back from? Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it doesn't need to be anything that's too harsh, does it, this time around? Um, uh, I appreciate that things are going to have to shift as they always do in a budget, you know, but hopefully there's going to be good news for, you know, any good news for those three million small businesses that didn't get anything this time around, you know, if there's anything that can be done for them. I don't know what, you know, uh, I'm not an economist. I, I don't know what the options are, to be honest with you. Um, but if there is some something that can be done to recognise them, you know, whether it's up in their threshold or what they pay tax or the VAT threshold, you know, whatever it might be, you know, just doing something like that so they get a little bit of a break and, um, you know, aren't, aren't uh, all of a sudden being taxed straight away. So I don't know, it's, it's a tricky one, Stephen. I, you know, as I said, I'm not an economist. I don't know what the answer is and what I would do. I just hope that they're not going to start hitting us with taxes all over the place to start to recover the money now. Graham, what do you think? I'll get a free hand on this, right? Okay, so... Cut the tax code by at least half. It was already the most complicated tax code, I think, pretty much in the world by a few places. And then Gordon Brown came along, got his messy little fingers all over it and doubled the tax code in 10 years. And one of the problems is people keep trotting out uh, close the loopholes so that we can we can get all this tax from the billionaire. The billionaires will pay. Uh, the, the online retailers will pay. Right. Here's what I think we ought to be doing. I think we should be getting out of the way of all of this. So how about this? Let's cut corporation tax to 15%. Let's cut it to 15%. And let's get back on board with reducing it to 10% or something ridiculous like that. Let's get rid of all these top levels of tax or all these other things. Let's just reduce all that because we've got a couple of other issues as well. There's that whole Brexit thing, which most of us have forgotten about because that was another show that was going through this whole process. So we need to attract some other interest and some other investment and some other people to base their operations in the UK. So whereas we're talking about, oh, we'll go to 24%, 25%, it'll still be below America because if they're going to raise it to 27 or 28 and maybe we'll be one of the lowest G7 still, we'll ditch all that. Let's, let's, let's actually do the opposite. Let's reduce the tax. Let's stop tinkering and messing around with the edges because part of the, part of the problem we've got at the moment is government keeps getting in the way and it keeps getting in the way and it's virtually impossible for any of us to do business. So if we're going to do that, let's also think about the, the, the high street, right? So at the moment, partly forced, of course, by the pandemic, but it's been happening for years. Oh, it's Amazon's fault. It's, it's uh, all these deliveries. It's the retailer's fault. Oh, it's the, the council's fault. That if all government council, they all want their little piece of the pie. So I don't know, less pie, right? We've got to, we've got to be a little bit bold about this. We're going to have to redesign our city centres. We're going to have to redesign our high streets. We probably still want somewhere to go, but we probably want a bit of a mix. We don't want to make the mistake of the 1960s with all the tower blocks and the, um, 
you know, we've got these brilliant house housing areas, which sort of 20 years later have become, in some cases, quite rough areas. We need to get into this mixed use. So clearly, people are still going to want to go and have their special cup of coffee or their, their select cheese items from a small delicatessen. But let's stop pretending. I don't really want to go into shops. I don't want to trail around the car park. I don't want to then go and find the shop and queue to get in and queue to find a member of staff to be told, oh, if it's not on the shelf, we haven't got it. I want to click my phone like everybody else and have it arrive at my front door the next day. That'll suit me. But the little individual items, yes, I still want to do that. And we've we've got to move all of this this thing that government, this massive great machine that government and council yearns to be they want to be the center of everything controlling everything charging for everything i want to get them out of the way i want them to charge a lot less i want a bit of a reset on all of these and i'm like a reinvention of city centers i mean just to just as a sort of a final thought on that strand i guess the there was news this week the the landlords of london for the big retail the big offices government should encourage people back into the workspaces yeah as you said stephen People don't want to go back into it. You know, the genie's out of the bottle. People have experienced working from home now. And do you know what? It's quite good for all disadvantages. So so with my free hands, reduce corporation tax, simplify the tax code, reduce it everywhere, and encourage some, some free-thinking enterprise. That's what I'd like to do. I, I, I agree. Um, on, <clears throat> no, it's all good. I, I agree on the tax front. Uh, one of the, like you say, the allegation is that if, if only all of these big companies paid their tax, right? Okay, the only reason why they don't pay their tax here, it's because it's cheaper somewhere else. Mm. So let's let's keep them here. Let's make it worthwhile them investing here rather than going to Netherlands or, or to uh, Ireland, the two main com- countries, you know, in, in the European zone, r- rather than make them a- attractive places for them to divert their money to. Let's make it the UK. Let's make it, you know, us so that we get the tax out of it because we're much better off getting... 10 or 15% tax of on you know a billion that's uh, that's transferred out than getting none of it and so it just it seems to make sense that that is uh, that is an appropriate um uh, option it it was you you mentioned the kind of 10% that was a target wasn't it of um Osborne i think it was um to to get it down to there and it and it started to come down um but now to to talk about increasing it i think it's it's madness and i think like you say linked with brexit where everybody is already going Okay, we're going to go back to Europe because it's easier for us to do trade. Well, make it make it worthwhile them to invest here and go. Do you know what? We can see there's some difficulties with us trading with Europe, but we, we're able to overcome that because it's lower tax rates here. It's easier to do work here, and there's less paperwork. I'm in the post Brexit world. You know that that's what we need to do. We need to make us now we, you know, literally an isolated island. You know, attractive to to the world um, for them to want to come and bring their business to our country and you know create jobs um so yeah that, that needs looking at doesn't it you know what what can we do to incentivize these big corporates to, you know base their headquarters in the uk yeah. well and, and building on from that um you know we're, we're also thinking paul that you've got yeah the big corporates let's let's sort of get them let's let's if it's going to be a bit of a hassle if it's going to be an extra cost or difficulty because we need to trade because of the isolated position now all right 
if that's the difficulty which will incur extra cost, however, the tax rate is so attractive, brilliant, it's still a winner. But also this is great for small businesses because so many people are trying to set up a side hustle these days, it's what it's called, isn't it? A side hustle or a small business or an extra source of income that the whole idea of freelance working is, is um, really taken off in the last few years. And the more, to me, the more we can do to encourage that, the less you have people trying to think, well, I feel like I'm being stiffed at every turn at the moment by the government. Well, actually, why don't we make it a really good incentive? That's the percentage you've got to pay of, of your earnings. Well, cool, I don't mind doing that. At the moment, there are so many levels of difficulty and confusion and the government's, you know, you're always there with its hand out, I need a bit more, please. No, terrible idea. Let, let's, 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 let's reduce it and make it easier for people to start business and, and start creating revenue. And I think that's right. The stats, um, companies' house stats show that more companies have been created in the last 12 months than than, than the previous ones, which is really good. And, and there's a lot of um, businesses where their uh, SIC code is like online um, retailing and, and that kind of really absolutely fantastic. But I can almost, almost assure people that if the tax rate on company tax was 25%, and then dividend tax was increased to 35%. And people are looking at that going, hang on a minute. So I'm paying 60%. Why would I? No, why? Why would mm. I do that for? It's, it's just going to immediately put them off even trying. Right? So <coughs> I, it's I great suspect, to encourage all of that. But I suspect many owners of small companies are, are looking to see what's going to happen and think, well, do you know what? I'm going to come to a point, I might exit this with a bit of entrepreneur's tax. Uh, you know, that's been cut from 10 to 1. Um, so am I, am I going to am I going to step away from this? Is it actually worth it anymore? Maybe I want a bit of a rethink and a reset about how I move forward because um, you know, none of us really want to work to help support the government. Uh, most of us have other key things in our lives that are a little bit more important. And if you go out and set out something by yourself, it's your own business, whether it's a limited company or self-employment, you're taking all the risks. And I find this conversation at the moment is insidious, this whole idea about we've got to equalise the tax rates. It's a thing Rishi has mentioned a couple of times, uh, CGD should be brought in line, um, self-employed uh, NI should be brought in line. No, it shouldn't, because we're taking greater risks. And there's no incentive for me to, to take a risk. I've, I've got all the stress and hassle of a job with none of the legal protection. So you absolutely should make that more attractive to me if I'm self-employed or if I'm running my own limited company. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you know, the government's got to recognise, you know, the contribution that SMEs make to the uh, GDP, which is approximately half, I believe. I don't know the exact number. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're the ones that potentially are the most flexible and have been the most flexible in this in this climate. You know, I've been amazed to sort of see some of the responses that small businesses have had. They're sort of taking it on the chin. They're in the situation um, and thought, you know, what can we do to, to keep our business alive and also sustain it for the future? Um, and I think, you know, I think the government needs to recognise that and give these five million SMEs some sort of break in order to, to help put the economy back soon. You know, the big corporates don't respond that well. You know, your comment about the person earlier that sort of said, you know, that it, was, it was an aberration, people, remote work, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a massive benefit. It's going to cut overheads for businesses. They're not going to have uh, the, the cost associated with having an office anymore. Uh, Pre-COVID, they, they thought, you know, staff needed to be in the building. They need to micromanage them. You know, the, all these things that, that were given pre-COVID, now people are seeing, well, no, can, can actually work, work this business without people being in, in actually, you know, under a roof or they, or they need a smaller roof now because they don't need to be in all the time at the same time. So it's, 
you know, I think stuff like that, you know, rate release, rent release, all those types of things that are potential to, you know, encourage businesses to grow and be better at what they do. You know, that that's you can't not you can't dismiss the five billion SMEs or whatever the number is. It's around that number, I believe, in the UK. No, absolutely. Um, one of the things I, I've been thinking about the the budget. There's still approximately four million people that are on furlough. That means they've been supported for twelve months, pretty much. Their salary's been paid by the government. Um, the the rumor is that he's going to announce the extension of that until the end of June to coincide with the roadmap. And and I think as much as this sounds quite harsh, I think that that, that they shouldn't carry on extending that but instead they should provide support to allow companies to pay redundancy pay. Um, at the moment, redundancy pay is calculated on, on a, a week per year that somebody's worked there, and that can be quite an expensive bill to make. And we've got companies at the moment, this, this podcast we've used the, the phrase kicking the can down the road constantly, and that's what we've seen, and with furlough in particular, we've seen those companies not have to make redundancies for people that probably they know they have to make redundancies for, but they don't have to because the government's going to pay them 80% of their wage. And if that carries on, then we're just, we're, we're almost kind of artificially creating jobs when it perhaps might be a better option for the economy, as odd and perverse as it sounds, to make those people redundant so that they're free and able to go and set up new businesses, go and find other jobs that are actually of value and that exist. And, and, and there are businesses that are recruiting and busy. Um, so I, I don't know what you guys, if you've got any opinion on that, of whether or not the furlough scheme should carry on and we should carry on supporting people until the end of the roadmap or whether or not there should be a, an end to it. No, again, we've got to bite that bullet at some point. So I don't see any reason for sustaining that per se. Um, I think, you know, the chances are that a lot of these people are still going to be maybe done at the end of it. Um, so therefore, let's let's just bite that bullet. Let's eat that frog, I think, is the expression from uh, uh, from a, a business book out there, you know, it's, it's got to be done. Um, should we extend to June? I don't think so. I think we should just leave it as it is and uh, and see what happens. Uh, and then, Graham, what do you think? Yeah, Brian Tracy, the frog, I think, was the reference. That's it. There. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody said to me very early on in the in in uh, I don't know May, perhaps April, May last year, um, they said something about furlough. Essentially, was people who were redundant but didn't yet realize it <laughs> um and i and i read that and everybody else i think it was on linkedin perhaps and, and everybody else seemed to have already worked this out or maybe they were just pretending and i was quite happy to say you know i hadn't really thought of it like that but I, I think quite horrendously that's probably true at least for some people and um I, i'm pretty sure wasn't the arcadia group had an enormous number of people on on furlough last year um and i, and I think you know, they, they had said previously, they are struggling. We know we're struggling. They've had buyers circling. They've had all sorts of issues going on. They've had previous scrapes in the, the previous two, three, four years. Uh, all of those large retail organizations, pretty much everybody could see there was an issue. I mean, you don't need to be an expert in that area. Uh, it, it comes back to that point earlier on. Do you want to buy off uh, one of the big retail people who's going to deliver to you next day? Or do you want to track into town and all the hassle of that? So I, I, I think deeply uncomfortable though it is just continuing to pay people to to not do a job that isn't needed anymore when you say it like that doesn't make a huge amount of sense of course some level of support 
uh, some level of support's needed. And I know, you know they're very keen to talk about how much they've, um, or how many, uh, many extra people signed up for universal credit or something. And uh, But again, you know, that, that has all its, its issues as well. Probably you've got to look at some sort of redundancy support, as, as you said, Stephen. You've got to have something in place because just to go, right, we're now going to close it, is going to be Rishi and everybody's nightmare because all of a sudden of those 4 million people, I don't know who suddenly are going to find themselves out of work because mm. because the other side to this, which is all quite uncomfortable, but probably worth considering is um, just as you were saying earlier on, Paul, as larger businesses have realized, you know what? It's quite strange. We've employed adults. We've given them work to do. And even when they were sat in our special building and we were watching them, they still did the work. Who knew? Mm-hmm. So, not only has large, large businesses realised that they don't need those big buildings, which means, of course, the landlords then have an issue and all the support businesses around them, actually, we don't need them anymore. We don't need a thousand head building for a thousand staff. We need a 200 head building because we'll go in one day a week. That makes a load more sense. Actually, there's a similar thing with if I used to work with this many staff, but this many have been on furlough and we were still largely able to operate... I'm yep. really sorry to point this out. We didn't really need you. Exactly. And, you know, for years and years and years, we've talked about UK productivity being way, way lower than, I don't know, loads of other people. And let's go back to this whole eight, eight hour, the eight hour day. Well, the eight hour day made sense when it was created, what, 150, 180 years ago. But why are we all productive for eight hours? I've, I've worked for myself for 25 years and I have days when, frankly, I faff around for hours trying to get myself motivated. I have other days when in an hour I will blast through stuff. I have days when I work 12 hours. I have days when I work three hours. How is it possible that we all go into the office and we all do eight hours and we all go home again? It's a nonsense. And I suspect all of this is going to take us back to do all of those people who are currently on furlough need to go back to work horribly, unfortunately, probably no. Let's bite the bullet, figure out a redundancy package. I think that's a good idea, Stephen, and go from there. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think it's a good idea as well. Um, but I came up with it, so, you know, there you go. Um, no, the, part of the reason why I think it's a good idea is because um, the, there, is a, uh, there is a system in place where if a company goes bust, it goes into liquidation and cannot pay its redundancy payments, the government step in and pays the redundancy payments. And so we, we want to see a situation, if, if, if you've got a company where you've got 10 people on, on redundancy, out, you know, out of 20 people, say, you know, half of your staff are, are, are on furlough, sorry, um, and you're going to have to make them redundant. Well, those redundancy payments could be anywhere between, you know, a couple of grand up to 20 grand. Um, and so times will buy that number of people, that would be a, a potentially crippling sum for companies. And what you don't want to have is then a, a mass spate of administrations or liquidations just to try and avoid the redundancy payments and then the company you know come and carry on trading but have, have sacked off a few members of staff it seems to me to be much better much better much more sensible to actually the government to go do you know what we're going to help support redundancy payments now we're going to change the furlough scheme help help um support it um we you both touched on uh, the final story already but we'll i'll, I'll ask it uh, anyway which the head of goldman sachs the the bank um, saying that working from home as a model was an aberration that needs to be corrected as soon as possible. And, and they are, you know, as soon as they can, they want everybody, bums on seats, back in the office. Now, is that guy just a dinosaur? Is he not reading the room properly? Um, or, or is that like some places are still going to be like that? Uh, what do you think, just, Graham? Let's cut, let's, let's cut to the chase, Stephen. The guy's uh, Velociraptor. 
um, Solomon, isn't it? He, 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 you know, it's an aberration. Now, where he is right, they've got another new intake of staff. I think 3,000 interns last year who had no welcome to the office, welcome to the world, welcome to our ecosystem. In that, he's absolutely right. But that's as far as he goes right. Do we still need to get everybody together? Yes, we do. Do we still need to have meetings and, and events and reasons for teams to, co to coordinate and collaborate in the same room? Yes. In those respects, he's absolutely correct. But you're, you're right. He's reading the room totally incorrectly. It's not the word on the street, is it? You talk to 100 people. Because um, I've asked a specific question on TikTok, and I had over 100 responses to it. I think three, four... Uh, said, I can't wait to go back to work. 30 or 40 said, I never want to go back to work. I love working from home. And 40 or 50 said, um, it's a bit awkward. I'd like to be able to go back sometimes. And nearly everyone said, I'd like to go back to the office once or twice a week. That's what pretty much everyone said. All of my clients are doing exactly the same thing. They are reducing rented space. They're keeping the big state building that's in the center of the city, the one that they own. Um, they're even thinking in some cases of turning that into a hotel or a, uh, you know, some other kind of building, but they're keeping those. All the hub offices, all of the out outlets, all of those, those are going and being massively reduced. I think there's still something to be said for people that, that really struggle to work from home, perhaps for, for childcare reasons or where they live. But I, th I still think that's a medium term problem because I don't know what it costs to put a thousand people in an office in the centre of a city. I expect it's quite expensive. But if you only need 200, you've got a shed load of money every year spare. And some of that could go to some of your colleagues to work from home. And then you're saving money. They're happier. We've got a great deal more flexibility. So I, I think the guy is so out of touch with both popular sentiment and probably um, hardline commerce would, would be my view. Yeah. Paul, do you agree? I agree with Graham. It, it needs to be a blend. You know, it, it, it's all about managing people and, you know, get, making sure their productivity happens. You don't have to have a, you know, a dictator standing over staff nowadays to get SH1T to happen. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, there are going to be opportunities when you do, you do need to get the staff together. You know, you do need a bit of team building, you know, maybe creativity is lost to an extent, uh, you know, that, that, that team feel you're going to lose when people join, you know, being inducted remotely is probably not much fun. So you still need that, 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 um, uh, atmosphere you know you still need that possibility but yeah it's 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 a done deal now i think you know i think most companies that aren't run by a dinosaur are going to see this as an opportunity as i touched on earlier they're going to reduce their office overhead costs they'll probably move to more of a hot desking type situation so it's not a fixed and firm desk or area you go into in an office you know you just bring your laptop you plug it in and you're you're automatically connected to what you need to be connected to um and i think it's it's got to be the way forward you know definitely it's going to impact commercial business commercial property owners i guess but you know they'll need to look to repurpose their their uh, buildings i guess and uh, i think there are already some people that are looking to make what is what are now sort of like larger corporate premises into more sort of serviced office hot desking type things they recognize that's what the need is going to be going forward i think i think people do want to get out their house um from time to time particularly over the last year as it has been but you know i think having that that hot desk type thing would be fine you know you don't need a set desk in a in a specific physical location anymore 
Oh, look, it's like the music industry. 20 years ago, the music industry was up in arms. They could not believe this whole new thing. Who was going to stream music? It's a ridiculous idea. People want to go and buy product. So it turns out, do you know what? I love my music and I love the fact I've got access to literally everything from my phone. It's amazing. It's brilliant. My 16-year-old sons cannot believe the struggle of having to walk half an hour to the train station, wait 20 minutes for the train, go into Birmingham for half an hour, walk across Birmingham for 20 minutes, go to Virgin Records and the same all in reverse to hear music. <laughs> For the first time <laughs> that I hadn't actually heard previously. Right? And guess what? The music industry is still moving on. I'm sure people within the music industry still say it's not perfect the way the way it's worked out. But what we tend to do is we get together for the big events. So the big events now are way more expensive than they used to be, or obviously when we can all go back to them. And because they now are statement events. And you're right, we will get together for work when we need to. And so many, and it's the jokes about meetings, you know, you fed up with work and go and have a meeting instead. So all of those things, if we can do that online, brilliant. And then we get everybody together when it's the yearly conference or when it's a, you know, it's a bit of a collaboration because we need to put something together. That, that's the way it's going to go. And it becomes more important, perhaps more special because of that. Excellent stuff, guys. Um, has there been any story that we've not talked about that, that you've seen this week that you thought that was that was fun, that was interesting, that you want to talk about? Graham, does anything pop into your head? Um, no, nothing whatsoever. I've, I've been consumed with, um, with the, uh, the stories about landlords, about uh, the, the, the possible tax raises and uh, the ongoing discussion about what's going to happen post, pre, during the pandemic. So they've been the key stories for, for, for me that have been flying around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, so Paul, was there anything that you, you found uh, novel or interesting? Absolutely, Stephen. So at the risk of upsetting the LGBTQ plus community, and I know you've done podcasts before on uh, gender inequality, and that's absolutely an important uh, topic and uh, area, What's he uh, going to say? Potato. What's he going to say? <laughs> Mr. Potato Head is to lose the Mr. title. Yeah. Toymaker toy Hasbro has uh, decided to do that um, uh, to, to, to promote gender equality. I'm not sure that does really. Um, uh, you know, it's a traditional toy that's been around since the 50s. And, um, you know, just by taking the Mr. off, I don't know whether some people say it's a bit of a PR stunt. Um, you know, I was thinking when I started to read it that, It'd be great if a toy company did gender-neutral toys anyway, and it looks like they do. So, you know, the fact they're doing that, I think they've done enough. I don't think they need to sort of uh, get away from something that I guess has been a, a, a traditional toy since the 50s. But I, I, um, I can't, I'm not sure if this is in the Toy Story film. It might be in another, you know, shoot-off series, offshoot series of that uh, programme. Has he split up with Miss, Mrs. Potato Head? Well, is that not a thing anymore? No, apparently Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head still exist. Right. That, that's still a thing. Um, but uh, yeah, they're just they're just rebranding him as a standalone thing, just as Potato Head. I, I actually think it's a good thing. Um, all joking aside, I, I think it's a good thing because it normalizes stuff. And and where normalize, you know, when you normalize stuff, then it just kind of makes things easier for people that are actually struggling with that in their life. That's that's the reason behind it. Um, I saw something similar. Oreo, um, the the biscuits, they put out a tweet, and it and literally the tweet said, "Trans life matter, trans lives mm -hmm. matter," right? Mm -hmm. And and that was the tweet. And um and and so there's a lot of people going, great statement to make, but most of the comments were like, "You're only doing that for PR." 
yeah, and, and and that that is always a really tricky thing, isn't it? So so like like uh, Hasbro, there doing something that they might have absolutely genuine and true intentions behind it, but it comes off and smells like PR. Then everyone goes, hmm, that's not it didn't work. Great, you kind of you you must have seen that in your time of you know people bad PR um, being being operated. Well, I, I will I will share one thought with you that actually uh, slightly slightly at angle from what you were just saying, um, but I, but I think linked uh you, you mentioned earlier on that, that i use tiktok and i only started using tiktok in june last year because i wanted to build a, a b2c community rather than a b2b community and it, it's been very very interesting you, you, you learn a lot um I, I present a lot anyway on camera and all sorts so um i know how I look and how I sound and so on but i wanted to do something with a different audience and see how it works and of course there's a new set of rules you've got to learn and one of the things i only learned this week was and i don't, I don't even know if this is true or not i might have my leg pulled at this point that that there is a thing now that younger people use obviously tiktok audience a lot of it is quite young um where you deliberately misspell when you caption your work and the reason you do that is because it makes people watch a little bit longer because they, they think, oh, you idiot, you misspelled. Um, and then various people will then feel compelled to tell you that you've spelled something incorrect. And I thought a little bit like your PR example, is this something that is somebody trying to cover up the fact that they've done something really stupid and it's <laughs> become a thing or is it true? So I, I, um, I, I, I decided to test it and uh, I'm, I'm quite allergic. You know, your and your is a, is a classic one that people mix up or there and there and there. People always mix that one up. So, so I mixed up um, something about don't let these people fool you, uh, but I mixed up fool and fool. And uh, I thought I'd, I'd give this a go and I, I put the video out and turns out they were right. About half of the responses I got were people pointing out what an idiot I was, <laughs> spelling incorrect, which I found fascinating because now I'm wrestling um, back to your sort of PR idea. I'm trying to do something genuinely or am I trying to do it for, for, uh, for coverage? I find myself wrestling with, do I do another misspell knowing it will increase my viewing figures, but knowing also it will grate and grind particularly, and particularly because most of my following is, is, is grown-ups in business as well. So it's an interesting thing. You can do something that gives you some attention, but maybe it's not the attention you want, but maybe that doesn't matter because, and so it goes on. Excellent stuff. If anyone wants to follow uh, you on, on TikTok, Graham, how did they do that? 75,000 followers, I think you've got something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just 75,000 now. Yeah, it, it, took a, it took a stop over Christmas and then it, it, it's, uh, it's going up again now. Uh, Graham David, uh, that's it, G-R-A-H-A-M, David, Graham David. And um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a photo of me bellowing down a microphone, I think, on the, uh, the, the graphic there. It's a lot of business mentoring, type, very, very low touch, easy stuff for, I always describe it as, as normal business ideas for normal people like you so it's it's not highfalutin difficult stuff it's normal stuff for normal people perfect i might go i might go on tiktok yet then <laughs> hey paul absolutely i think you should it's a high growth platform it's worth it i'm still waiting for clubhouse to come to android then i'll be happy gentlemen thanks very much for coming on uh, the business Herald podcast this week i thoroughly enjoyed our chat i hope you did as well absolutely yes thank you Stephen. And for, for everybody listening at home, thank you very much for, for tuning in. Um, 
do subscribe to the podcast on uh, wherever you download your podcasts from leave a review that would be great and uh, and if there's anything that uh, we've talked about that you have an opinion on then do comment and let us know on social media um i put the links in the uh, the podcast notes so you can connect with all of us but this show in particular is at the business herald on uh, on everywhere that uh, you can social medialize um, but once again thanks very much for listening and see you next week goodbye Gentlemen, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Stephen. Good we show. Can say, we can say now, can we? You can now, yes. Yeah. Uh, two intelligent, two incredibly intelligent, successful people that can't find words and, and struggle <laughs> for, for alternative words. It's one of those things, isn't it, where you just kind of get that word in your head and you go, I can't, I can't think of another word. What's the other word for that? <laughs> I, think, I think it's Billy Connolly actually pointed out that it's such a brilliant and emotive words sometimes and you just want to off and it's way to explain the feeling and the belief and the emotion behind that particular phrase so uh i'm with billy on that <laughs>